Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Forces of nature have taken center stage in Israel's northern neighbor and beyond, where winters always harsh and lack of energy supplies make conditions even more unforgiving. The earthquakes devastating parts of Turkey and northern Syria showed the generous and skilled face of the Israel Defense Forces, whose search and rescue teams worked relentlessly to find, extricate, and take care of survivors. But this strategy may only delay a return to old-age conflicts between Ankara and Kurdish separatists south of the border and between Israel and its hostile neighbors in both Syria and Lebanon. What are we to expect when winter turns into spring and things return to what passes in this region, at least for normal, with us to explore it, our colonel retired, Dr. Eran Lerman, who is the co-host of TV7 Middle East Review, Powers in Play panelist, the vice president of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security, and the editor-in-chief also of the Jerusalem Strategic Tribune. Thank you for joining us, sir. Also joining us, of course, is Colonel in Reserve, Ruven Ben Shalom, who is a TV7 Powers and Play panelist as well, uh, as well as a cross-cultural strategist and associate at the International Counterterrorism Institute at uh, Reichmann University. Thank you. Thank you for joining us as well, Colonel. And I'd like to uh, welcome, of course, our editor-at-large and host of Watchmen Talk, Powers and Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, the situation, obviously... Um, the, the images that emerged both from Syria and Turkey have been uh, devastating uh, just to see the anguish and, and hopelessness of these people. Of course, uh, uh, Israel had quite the, the impressive part in assisting, uh, still does uh, for that matter. Um, the return, of course, of the uh, search and rescue teams due to the unfortunate uh, fact that uh, time was running out for whoever was under the rubble. Uh, but uh, still, there is a field hospital there, the second largest delegation for that matter, 450 people, second only to Azerbaijan, uh, which had uh, over 750 uh, members itself. Um, nevertheless, uh, when we look at the situation up north, Iran is still very active. We see that the hostilities between Kurdish uh, separatists uh, or members of uh, the PKK, YPG, or other organizations there are still very much uh, hostile towards Turkey and vice versa. And uh, the complexities vis-a-vis Israel uh, with regard to this arena uh, has not diminished uh, even for one inch. Uh, What are we to expect in the near future from what you can see at this stage? Tragedy in general, and this one in particular, um, is probably not the place to look for irony. Nevertheless, ironically enough, the Israeli rescue uh, operation was dubbed Olive Branches. Mm -hmm. And five years ago, uh, the Turkish uh, spring invasion invasion had the same or similar name, Olive Branch, Operation Olive Branch. Which which tells you that in the Middle East, uh, sometimes um, operations uh, have a warlike mission, and sometimes they are humanitarian, 
as this one was on Israel's part, as well as others, as, as you mentioned, Israel's um, uh, IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, um, and especially its home front command, they have a lot of experience in going to uh, disaster areas all over the world, Haiti, Turkey, many other places, and they're doing the best to help um, all nations, regardless of their friendliness or enmity towards uh, Israel, because this transcends politics. Will there be a goodwill reservoir that will be left here uh, towards Israel? Uh, maybe on the popular level, but leaders, of course, uh, have other uh, factors in their decision making. So yes, we are trying, uh, we are waiting for the uh, snows of Syria and Mount Lebanon to thaw and, and uh, to see whether Hezbollah will uh, return uh, to its tricks, whether the Iranians uh, will uh, resend supplies through Syria, Iraq and Syria, towards Lebanon and will Israel strike them. And as you mentioned, the Turks have not given up on their idea of hitting at <coughs> concentrations of Kurdish separatists south of the border. And because these very forces are uh, in combat against the Bashar Assad regime and the Americans rely on them, it makes for a very complicated relationship in the um, um, ties between Washington, Ankara, and the Kurds. I think it's very important to note that even though uh, at some point, several months back, uh, the Turkish uh, leadership was very adamant on immediately uh, executing a, a vast operation, uh, they called it a counterterrorism operation against the Kurdish separatists, as you mentioned, uh, these uh, intentions were frustrated both by sure. American uh, pressure and by uh, Russia's presence there, which has bolstered its forces in certain areas. They want a security cordon of uh, several, perhaps a dozen miles or 20 miles um, across. 30 kilometers. From, from, from the border in order to keep uh, Kurdish artillery and uh, squads away from the border. Indeed. Well, uh, bringing some cynicism into this picture, uh, the Iranians have been very active uh, in uh, uh, assisting uh, those impacted uh, who are under their umbrella, including their Shiite militias and uh, uh, the communities, families that they brought with them from Afghanistan and elsewhere into Syria. Uh, to what degree was their efforts, uh, Dr. Lehman, when we're talking about the Iranians, to also utilize this hiatus, so to speak, of uh, um, efforts to curtail to a certain degree or the capacity to curtail in current environments uh, the smuggling activity. Well, to uh, precede uh, the story about the utilization of the aid uh, convoys, we have to mention that uh, Israel has been increase, uh, reportedly uh, increasingly aggressive in monitoring whatever crosses the Iraqi-Syrian border uh, with intelligence that uh, uh, at one point our uh, former chief of staff bragged about the capacity to hit uh, truck number eight, which was the one carrying the weapons in uh, an otherwise civilian... In a 25-car convoy. Convoy. Indeed. 
So um, that, that tells you something about the level of penetration of Israeli intelligence into these uh, operations. Uh, there's a growing impression that the Iranians uh, have given up on the idea that they can create an Iranian military presence, steady Iranian military presence in Syria, and that the focus is on supply to Hezbollah. Now, um, Lebanon has not been very se severely struck and to construct a, uh, a story around convoys of Iranian supplies going to Lebanon um, uh, and under that cover to smuggle more arms, uh, Israel will not hesitate to act uh, if that is the case. And I think this has been made uh, very clear by the, uh, in, in unattributable, uh, uh, unattributed statements. Uh, but <clears throat> the larger story here is that Syria as a state found itself unable to respond to the magnitude of the disaster. And it is here, here Iranian support is irrelevant. The Iranian economy is not in a position to be of any help. So if and I may interject here. So here is the point in which the Caesar Act and the American right. uh, the willingness of the Americans to relax uh, can actually generate a lever on the Assad regime, which may turn out to be a signific of significance from an Israeli point of view. Immediately after the devastating earthquakes hit, two separate earthquakes, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu came out and noted that, of course, Israel was prepared and immediately thereafter provided the directives to send the delegations to assist Turkey. But he also mentioned something that was not as much uh, amplified, that there was a request by a third country uh, from Israel to also assist Syria. To what degree was there truly uh, Israeli assistance to Syria, from what you were able to speak about, of course? Uh, and to what degree did this provide an impact? Of course, we saw uh, the uh, hospital on the border with Syria uh, receive all kind on of... On the Turkish side. On the yeah. Turkish side, receive all kind of uh, Syrians from Haleb region, uh, the, the area there, uh, including children who have been, of course, injured and Israeli doctors were treating them um, undeterred by the fact that this is with the focus of saving lives. Of course, Syria is not interested in any Israeli presence on Syrian-controlled soil. Uh, much of the damage in Syria was dark, came in areas not under the Assad regime's control. It's in the, Af in the Idlib. Uh, Afrin is on the Turkish, is essentially by now a Turkish province, but Idlib is the last stand of the rebels and the uh, there's been more Al-Qaeda, Islamic State, and so on. Yeah, but uh, they, no Israeli, uh, no sane Israeli would roam in that area, yeah. but indirect uh, support via Turkey can be provided. Uh, we're talking about uh, blankets and, and winter coats and whatever is needed to survive in the ruins of, of, uh, of the earthquake. Indeed. Colonel uh, uh, Ben Shalom, when we're looking at the, the current situation on the northern front. Obviously, uh, Syria is still war-ridden. 
to a certain degree. There, there are ongoing operations, including, of course, the U.S.-led operation Inherent Resolve, uh, in which it uh, leads uh, the SDF, uh, the uh, Syrian Democratic Forces against Islamic State and, and pinpoint operations, including uh, has the, the responsibility of uh, ensuring that those incarcerated under uh, the uh, uh, Kurdish militias, basically, uh, of the Islamic State are still being held captive until actually there is something to be done with. Uh, the Americans are, of course, adamant on moving them towards uh, Europe. Uh, the Europeans are not very interested in uh, this, uh, to say the least, uh, logically. But uh, when you look at the situation there from an American perspective, to what degree is the cooperation, at least on the intelligence front, between Israel and uh, the United States frustrating the Russians, the, the Iranians, all of the adversaries, basically, of uh, both countries who are quite vocal about uh, the, the occupation, so-called, of Syrian territory. Well, the, the cooperation between Israel and the United States was always very deep, and uh, Israeli leadership always put that in the front and talked about how deep it is, uh, mostly stressing you know, exercises, uh, exchanging information, etc. In recent years, you hear Israeli leadership more come to the front with you know, the deep strategic ties, intelligence cooperation, and even combating terrorism and promoting common interests. Uh, the recent uh, transition of Israel under the umbrella of CENTCOM has been very dramatic because until the, not long ago, we belonged to the European area of responsibility. And since we transferred to CENTCOM, you see they even stepped up visits here and exercises much more on an operational and intelligence level, which means that this is not, not only speaking about doctrine, but promoting what needs to be promoted. Another interesting that was just mentioned here is the Israeli penetration of intelligence of all our rivals. Also, this used to be a big secret, but now our leadership speaks about it freely. So everything ties in together. So I don't think there's a frustration, more a realization that that's it, that we're joined to the Americans. It's a common effort. True that many times we do it under the radar, and if when things evolve that need some kind of uh, overt coalition, we usually don't have the Israeli flag on the website. But we're always there, we're always in the background, and the U.S. has great dividends from Israeli partnership and contribution. Does this impact in any way the coordination mechanism between Israel and the Russians when we're talking about freedom of operation? I think the way it's done now is that everything works simultaneously. Now, sometimes the things have nothing to do with each other. We have a good line of communication with the Russians, more, I would say, a deconfliction mechanism. Mm -hmm. We're not partners with the Russians. We have a good deconfliction, which means... We talk, we make sure that we don't uh, bother each other. Certainly we don't want to clash or have any mishaps, uh, any miscalculation. So it's very good that we talk and everybody knows that we talk. Also go to the issue with Ukraine and all the sensitivities there with, with the way Russia is perceived now. Also that is very sensitive. Not long ago we would brag of you know, how our prime minister is such a great buddy of Putin. That's not so popular anymore, is it? So I think all these sensitivities are very clear. Our strategic alliance with the United States is very clear. Looking at the arena as a whole, very good that we're working with CENTCOM in, a, in, this, in this mutual picture and understanding and operations. Um, we are told that the astronauts looking down from space see no borders. They, they see only features, major features, rivers, perhaps the Great Wall of China. Uh, and this, this is a legend. 
and they don't see the border between Turkey and Syria. One, one of the centers of the earthquake was in the Hatay province, which is Alexandretta, which was used to be Syria, was won over by Turkey. So now the Turks have to take care of, uh, of the victims. Perhaps, we don't know yet, one more victim will be Erdogan. In three months, in mid-May, they have an election in Turkey. Um, many people are blaming the government for not preventing the disaster by a building code uh, or by rebuilding. But interestingly enough, in, in Antakya, they, they rebuilt the uh, town on the uh, remnants of towns from, from time immemorial. So nature tells mankind, don't build here. Hmm, it's, yeah. it's bound to happen again. And, and we humans uh, insist on doing it. So if Erdogan goes, and it's very soon, uh, we, we shouldn't uh, predict it, we don't know, but maybe um, after May, we will uh, have a new management uh, in Ankara, which will also change the uh, balance of power, Turkey vis-a-vis Iran, Turkey vis-a-vis Israel, Turkey, NATO. Um, it's an interesting uh, dimension to, mo- to watch. Which brings me to my question, to what degree is Turkey, since we saw a, a certain uh, quite significant rapprochement between Ankara and Moscow uh, mm-hmm. in recent months? And we saw uh, not necessarily rapprochement because there is concrete rivalry in the Turkish front, uh, in the Turkish-Iranian front in Iraq in particular. Uh, but to what degree do we see those spheres of influence con- or shift into more of spheres of common interest? Um, my assessment would be negative, or at least doubtful. Uh, Turkey uh, is historically fearful of Russia. This is uh, one reason why Turkey was uh, one of the first member states in in NATO and contributed the biggest force outside of the United States in the Korean War and and, uh, elsewhere. And we have seen a sort of rapprochement between Washington and Ankara recently. Um, The uh, Turks had to give up their F-35s, but they are now going to get F-16s. Which is still blocked by Senator uh, Menendez, who is quite powerful. Yes, well, of course, uh, there there are problems in in Congress. There is always a powerful Greek lobby Mm -hmm. in Congress. um, uh, Well, some may say that it's because Menendez married an Armenian. But that's a different story. Um, so, so who's taking revenge on whom? Indeed. The wife or, or the husband? Uh, but um, one, one senator can only delay. One senator cannot, cannot prevent even, um, even a, a powerful uh, chairman of a committee, as a foreign relations committee in, in this case. Um, there is willingness on uh, both uh, parts of, of President Biden and President Erdogan, if he stays in power, uh, to let bygones be bygones and and uh, uh, get ahead in the relationship. If either stay in power by 2024, but that's a different question. Uh, Dr. Lerman, is there a viability to a composition where, despite improbability, if you may, uh, as uh, Mr. Owen mentioned, uh, Russia is eager for friends, and Turkey seems to have quite uh, joint interests, uh, talking about real estate uh, since uh, 
uh, Russians procured so many uh, houses throughout Turkey, uh, uh, if we're talking about the high cost uh, rising here in Israel, uh, it rose in, in Turkey uh, roughly 1,400% uh, over the past year, which is unbelievable. Well, the, um, there's always been a reason for, for Turkey to keep a good working relationship with Russia, all the more so now that uh, there are significant uh, gas finds in the Black Sea, and the Turks would certainly want to have their northern uh, flank um, stable, quiet, so that this could be exploited without fear of uh, external pressure. Having said all this, at the end of the day, um, a devastation on this scale, on top of what, to be frank, the Erdogan policies have done to the Turkish economy, make Turkey absolutely dependent on the West. Russia cannot save it. Its trade, its its policies are all oriented towards uh, at least economic integration at some level with Europe, even if it's not within the EU. And uh, Trump proved that uh, even a minimal show of uh, pressure on the economic front uh, can bring about a turnaround in Turkish policy. This is where the story is going to be now that Turkey is going to need hundreds of billions of dollars uh, for reconstruction. The, the level of devastation is almost beyond comprehension. Indeed. Colonel Ben Shalom? Uh, we're talking about this earthquake. As if uh, on a day-to-day basis everything's great, uh, we have some conflicts, but then an earthquake comes and we all put down our arms and deal with humanitarian issue. That's not the case. The wars here have been devastating much more than the earthquake. Look at Syria. The place is in, in, in rubble. Hundreds of thousands of people killed, displaced. So an earthquake, all of a sudden we're going to think humanitarian. So remember that a lot of the leaders in the region, talking about Assad, doesn't care about 20,000 more people killed above the, those that were already killed. And his calculations go much beyond that. So I don't think that such a thing makes people stop and think and recalculate. Certainly, technically, on the ground, things have to happen. But I do think there's a very important message here to people. For instance, what would happen if tomorrow, God forbid, there would be a devastating earthquake in Iran? I would, if they would agree, as a retired or reserve colonel in the IDF, I would get on a plane and it would be my honor to go and help the people of Iran. And many of my friends would do the same, right? Why? Because we don't hate the Iranians, right? We don't hate anybody. We don't hate our neighbors from Syria. So every time this happens, you see Israel do it. Uh, I have to say that it is interesting to see the way the IDF goes out of its way to show and promote this. Why? You know, you can understand why. We're usually in the public eye for other things. We want to say, hey, we're also doing good stuff. But we are doing good stuff. And a lot of it is demonstrating that we're all human beings, all neighbors. All we want is peace and quiet. There is no conflict between the people. There are regimes and leaders that have their calculations. Iran specifically has their malign intentions to the Middle East. The regime change will change everything, which is why a dream of peace is not some fantasy. It's real. There could be there could be peace. So in a way, this is the positive thing that I see that emanates from such a disaster. I don't think that under the Ayatollah regime there could be peace in any circumstance. Change of regime, absolutely. There is a you know, when when uh, Reuven uh, mentioned Bashar Assad, um, I was reminded of a famous famous uh, novel by Evelyn Waugh, uh, named called Scoop. Uh, where a journalist uh, doesn't want to say no to his boss, 
the uh, press magnate. So uh, he says, yes, up to a point. Um, Bashar Assad will do Iran's bidding up to a point against Israel because his main mission in life is regime survival and his own personal survival. And because he knows that if he goes too far in his hostility towards Israel, Israel will change its policy and can oust him in a minute, which it doesn't want to, he will keep the Iranians um, under check, as do the Russians. They don't really care if Israel hits the Iranian proxies, the uh, Shiite militias, uh, as long as it's under the radar, everybody got used to it, and this is uh, going to go back to normal once winter uh, dwindles down. Including fourth grade uh, batteries or, or Russian supplied batteries, uh, which uh, Israel uh, allegedly uh, strikes time and again if it uh, decides to Yes, fire. it's good for everybody. <laughs> well, uh, that's of course a matter of debate, but uh, we're drawing near to the end of the program and, and I think uh, uh, it would be good to provide certain projections as we're still uh, in mid-February, uh, February, yeah? Uh, to what degree are we heading towards a point where conflagration is a possibility? Uh, of course, the winter times are not uh, uh, the most appealing to any military leader. Kurt. Very quickly, I think that, first of all, much depends on what will happen in Turkey in the next three months and so. Um, but as for our Israel's immediate concerns, I think there's a growing distinction between Syria where the situation increasingly generates a, an indirect American leverage if the U.S. decides to use it, and Lebanon, which is a fully under the Iranian thumb. And it is from Lebanon that we may expect serious trouble if Israel extends its current uh, uh, low or mid-level of operations, high-level operations against Iran, Lebanon will be the country from which the Iranians will try to launch their response. I think uh, I can be bold enough to say that Lebanon has become another Iranian province at this stage. Mm-hmm. Colonel? Well, we convened here to discuss the earthquake, but I think the earthquake has absolutely no significance to these long-term projections. I think we are at war. Israel is at war with Iran, actually. So it's more, you know, through proxies, uh, doing things that are uh, unattributed and things like that, but we're at war. And the northern arena is building up for war, and it will erupt, unfortunately. It won't be a second Lebanon or third Lebanon war. It will be a northern arena war. Maybe next summer. Hopefully we can postpone it, but that's where we're going. Israel is currently preoccupied with its own internal problems. And uh, when it has uh, some uh, time for another problem, it's the Palestinian one. Syria, Lebanon, even Iran can wait. That's, that's waiting for us in April. Indeed, that's why I think also Deputy Chief of Staff Amir Balam during a memorial for the helicopter disaster noted that it's time to fix internal issues and focus on uh, the true challenges ahead, including uh, the northern arena, which uh, uh, would come at a time when there is a necessity, of course, for Israeli public support in one cohesion support, uh, which is vital. But uh, this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Dr. Lelman, Colonel Ben Shalom, and Mr. Owen for being part of today uh, today's panel. And I'd like to thank also our viewers. And until next time, Shalom. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. 
For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.